our God and our creator, your word rightly says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made with a complexity in our nature that boggles even us. Sin has made our own hearts impenetrable even to us. Your prophet Jeremiah says of the human heart, who can know it? And his answer is that no one can know it except you, not even us. And so we strive to have robust faith in you and in your word. And as we do that, we're faced with our feelings and our emotions, which more often than not seem to wage endless war against your truth. Help us today to hear you speak to this struggle that we all experience, that we may grow, we may gain strength, we may learn to walk in genuine faith to the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, it's, uh, it won't come to you as breaking news to hear that we live in an emotion-drenched culture, a feeling-soaked society. People don't so much think today as they feel. They don't so much reason their way to conclusions as feel what is right. They don't so much go with facts and truth as they go with their feelings about facts and truth. In fact, it's most often to hear someone say, well, I feel instead of saying, well, I think or I believe. And hearing you're thinking, yeah, the world is really a mess. Are you sure I'm talking about the world? Should I be talking only about the world? No, sadly, what I'm talking about has infected the church to a degree that I am absolutely certain most people aren't even aware. But it has soaked the society and our addiction to being led by emotion has been canonized and sanctified and dusted with a little bit of Jesus dust and brought into the church and put in the reigning throne. Uh, Christians don't differ from the world in this as much as we should. Think on the personal level. Uh, Somebody says, well, I, I don't feel close to God. And so they conclude they're not close to God. And their lives are put on hold and their walk is put on hold. And their joys and their ability to rejoice in the gospel is shelved because they don't feel close to God. And then if they one day were to feel close with God, well, then they look up the promises and the commands again. Or again, on the other hand, you've got people who feel close to God. Therefore, they feel that everything they do has God's seal of approval because they feel close to God. How often do they announce things they've decided to do saying, well, I felt a peace about it. And that's meant to be a discussion ender. If somebody says to you, well, I felt peace about it, well, then I guess we're done talking about it. If you feel peace about it, then it's got to be the right thing. Is this the world talking? No, it's Christians talking. Is this rooted in Scripture? No, it's not. Think of the way people approach church. How many people, and I guarantee you many, many, I've known it, I've seen it, will go to a service where Jesus Christ is exalted, where his praises are sung, where his word is preached with passion, power, and truth. And they will go away, and what will they say? I just didn't feel the Holy Spirit there. I just didn't feel the presence of the Spirit. Uh, Often it's because they don't see fake imitations of gifts being operated, which are not the signs of the Holy Spirit, according to Scripture. But uh, they go away, and if they did not feel the Holy Spirit there, well, then the Holy Spirit wasn't there. 
And again, you're saying, ah, yeah, those charismatics. Oh, I'm not just talking about charismatics. I've known of people who are doctrinally sound in a great many ways, but they will complain about the sort of service I just described. I just didn't create an atmosphere of worship for me. It just didn't put me in a worshipful state of mind because it is assumed that the purpose of a church service is to make you feel worshipful, to make you feel close to God. And so many churches say, if that's what you're looking for, we want full pews, that's what we'll give you. We will have plays and songs and 50 choruses until you darn well feel something. We will make you feel something. If it takes smoke, we'll bring smoke. If it takes a pastor coming in on a, on a zip line, which I've thought about. Uh, <laughs> but if it takes, well, I mean, you know, look at the way we're engineered here. But I know if it takes a pastor coming in on a zip line, well, if that's what your emotions want, that's what we'll give you because we know that's what you're looking for. You see, we live in an emotion-drenched culture and it's not just the culture now having said all that did God make us with emotions yes he did it was part of his design now the fall disordered our emotions the fall broke our emotions the fall made us so that we're drawn to the things that should repel us and we're repelled by the things that should draw us we love what we should hate and we hate what we should love. Our, our emotions are all messed up by the fall, but the fall did not make our emotions. The fall just messed up our emotions and the fall put our emotions on the throne where only God and his word should be. And so Eve looks at the fruit and it feels like the right thing to do, so she does it. And in so doing, she puts God and his word aside and all her children follow the same example unless we consciously oppose it unless we consciously deny it. And so, because this is so important and practical in our series on faith in this crucial, crucial time, I'm going to spend uh, two weeks at least on this. This Sunday, we're going to focus on understanding what the Bible says about the relationship of faith to emotions. And then next week, we'll go deeper into the practice of living by faith, walking by faith instead of by emotions. So let's look together first, Roman numeral one, at the fact that Scripture distinguishes faith and emotions. Scripture does not see faith as an emotion primarily. It distinguishes faith and emotions. Letter A, faith, and that should be focuses, it's my fault, faith focuses on God's word and involves, but I'll wait while you fill in the blanks, faith focuses on God's word. The focus of faith is God's word. Now we saw this last week, if you didn't hear the sermon or didn't quite get it, I really encourage you to listen or listen again as needed. It's very important understanding the rest of this series. Faith focuses on God's word, and it involves, I want to make clear, one act with three elements. We should not think of these three elements as totally separate things, as if one comes to stage one, and then necessarily there's years before stage two, and years before stage three. It may be a process of growth taking a great deal of time, or it can all happen pretty much together. But biblical faith is one act, saving faith is one act that involves these three elements. And the first, I wonder how many of you have already filled in those blanks. Because you could, from last week and other sermons. First, it involves, what am I going to say? Very good. (laughs) Recognizing what God's Word says, which is to say knowledge. 
Faith involves knowledge. It starts with knowledge. You've got to know what you're being called to believe and understand what it is. There's no point walking up to somebody on the street and saying, do you believe in Jesus? Or simply saying, believe in Jesus, because the odds are fantastic that they have no idea who Jesus is according to Scripture. So that's, you start with talking about this is a Jesus before you talk to somebody about believing in that Jesus. So faith involves first recognizing what God's Word says. Romans 10, 13 through 14, Paul asks the question. Uh, he says, for everyone who will call on the name of the Lord will be saved, but then he asks the questions, therefore how will they call on the one in whom they've not believed, and how may they believe in the one of whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without someone proclaiming, without someone preaching? You can't call in a Jesus you don't believe in. You can't believe in a Jesus you don't know anything about. So faith starts with knowledge. Starts with recognizing what God's word says. A second element it grows to is realizing. Should have asked you, sorry. I'll hit you on the third. It's realizing the truth of what God's word says, which is to say realizing that it's true. First, you simply hear who Jesus is, but then you come to believe that what the Bible says about him is true. <clears throat> the element of assent. Jesus touches on this in, in John 8, 24, where he says, therefore, he, uh, he says, therefore I told you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am. In other words, if you don't believe that what I'm saying about myself is true, that the claims I make of myself are true, that I'm God the Son, that the Father's will is that all honor the Son as they honor the Father, that I am the bread of life, that I am the way and the truth and the life, that I'm the light of the world, as he said in chapter 8. We must believe that he is who he says he is. So the second element is realizing that the, the things we hear from God's word are true statements. And if we trust in Jesus, well, he will save us. But then there's the all-important third element. And this is the difference between believing that Jesus is a savior and what? Knowing that Jesus is my savior. And it's the difference between confessing that, well, Jesus is Lord and saying Jesus is my Lord. And that's the element of what? resting. We rest on the truth of God's word. We know what it says. We believe it to be true. And now we burn all our bridges, turn away from what we had trusted in, what we had looked to for life and meaning and hope. And we rest fully on God's promises, God's word, God's son. So in Acts 16.31, the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And they don't break out a 12-volume work on theology. And they don't just say, well, follow your heart. <laughs> what they say is, if you, they say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Rest your faith on him. Rest your faith. They'd heard, the jailer had heard them singing about Christ all the time they were in jail. And now they say, rest your faith on this Christ and you will be saved. So those are the three elements in saving faith. And they all focus on God's word. Faith focuses on God's word. What do emotions focus on? Well, we'll talk about that in just a moment. But first, a little discussion. All these three elements, I ask you, are they primarily emotional elements? Is knowledge, is assent, is trust primarily emotional? And the answer is no. These are not primarily emotional. So faith is not an emotion. Faith is not a feeling. 
So uh, what faculties do they primarily involve then? What, what parts of our makeup are involved in exercising faith? Well, what, what do we think with? What do we know with? What do we choose and decide with? It's, it's our mind and our will and our affections. We'll talk about that more as time goes on, but our affections, meaning what draws us and what repels us, not, not the same as our emotions exactly, but uh, faith is primarily a matter of the mind and a matter of the will, not a matter of the emotions. So faith then is the embrace of the mind and the will of God's word. The focus is God's word. It's God's truth and our response to that truth in our mind and our will. Clear? So secondly then, faith focuses on God's word and involves these, these elements. Second, emotions, on the other hand, have many causes. I just list a few from Scripture. Emotions have many causes. And for, for time's sake, I'll just read these to you, but do jot them down, maybe make a note or two. In 1 Samuel 14, 27, Saul had told everybody not to eat anything, one of his impulsive, stupid decisions, King Saul. And so nobody ate anything. Nobody of, of these soldiers ate anything, and they were all faint and weary and still pursuing the battle. But Jonathan, his son, 1 Samuel 14, 7, had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. So he put out the tip of his staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. What's that saying? Well, he felt better. He felt weary. He felt tired, probably felt discouraged. And now he got some sugar in him. He got some nourishment in him, and he felt better. So what, what made him feel better? Eating something, <laughs> eating something. You remember when Elijah flees, the first thing that God does is feed him. He's discouraged, he's feeling alone, and God gets him a meal is the first thing he does. So sometimes emotions are simply affected by physical. And that's a challenging thing in counseling. You just don't know sometimes to what degree. I remember a lady telling me years ago that she had, um, had years of, of her life just, just going down and down and down. And one day a doctor, as I recall, now this is decades ago, I think she said a doctor diagnosed a thyroid deficiency and began giving her supplements. And to her, it was like she woke up and just began to see things in her life and, and start making changes. Well, she, she had been in a deep depression, but it had a physical cause in her case, not, not primarily emotional or mental. No, because we're not just spirits floating in bodies. We are incarnate spirits. We, we are body, soul, and spirit. I mean, we're body and spirit, body and soul. And so we are affected by the health and conditions of our body. <laughs> My recent experience certainly bears witness to that. You, you, if you feel low, it's awful hard to be cheery. Um, if you feel in deep pain, you're just completely run down. It's awful hard to, to just, you know, somebody says, cheer up. Your response is, okay, on three. Yeah. So anyway, physical. Secondly, emotion may have circumstantial causes. And this is pretty obvious. First Kings 21, 4. Wicked King Ahab had asked his neighbor Naboth the Jezreelite to give him some property or sell him some property. And Naboth said no. He refused to do it. So we read in 1 Kings 21, 4. Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. He was in a bad, 
dark mood. He felt really bad because things didn't go his way. Circumstances made him feel. Oh, it felt real to him. It was all he cared about at the moment, but it was just a turn in circumstances. The whole rest of the world didn't care, but he did because things didn't go his way, and he felt bad. And then secondly, on the other hand, Psalm 4, verse 7 David says, you've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Now, it's lovely to think about the joy God gave him, but the point is, well, the world has joy too when things are going well, when their stocks are going up, when their business is thriving, when their health is well, when their kids are getting good grades and their families together and the car's running and on and on and on. Circumstances affect mood. They have joy when things go well, but David is saying, you give me a joy I can have even when things aren't going well. But my point is not that half, it's the other half, that circumstances affect emotions. Things don't go your way, you feel awful. Things go your way, yay, party and confetti. Number three, emotions can also have delusional causes. Delusional causes. In other words, causes that have no basis in reality. Now you could, you could bring in the thing, I think I heard a comedian say once, most of the things you worry about don't happen, which is just statistically true. <laughs> Unless you never worry, but uh, few of us would say that. Uh, but we worry nonetheless, even though they don't happen. But my illustration is even more pungent. It's from 1 Kings 18.28, where Elijah has challenged the prophets of Baal. And they have their turn. And in 1 Kings 18.28, and they, that is the prophets of Baal, cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed upon them. Well, they were in a wild frenzy. They were feeling all sorts of things, all sorts of emotions. It was wild and emotional. Well, like a lot of church services I've had, except for the blood part, largely. Um, and yet, the cause of all these emotions, completely delusional. Completely delusional. But you say, oh, but they were sincere. Well, I don't doubt that they were sincere. They were sincerely deluded. They were worshiping a false idol. If you'd asked them, maybe they would have said, it can't be wrong if it feels so right. But yes, it can. <laughs> it absolutely can. Why? Because we're fallen. Because our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. Because we don't even know ourselves. And we feel wrong things about right things and right things about wrong things. And so here they're very emotional and the cause is absolutely delusional. Felt very real, wasn't real at all. So you see right there a big difference between biblical faith and emotions. Faith has one focus, God's word and truth. God as he reveals himself by his word. Emotions can have many causes. Circumstance, physical, delusional. So that said then, faith responds to God's word and emotions respond to many things. So, in fact, letter C, and this is another very important point to learn and to take to heart, God's word may call faith to defy our emotions. Huh? I hear an amen yet? God's, first, God's word may call us to defy our emotions, that even though we strongly feel something, we know what God's word says, 
And we go with God's word and not with our feelings, not with our emotions. Here's some examples. John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. This is Jesus saying this in the upper room discourse. What's the occasion? He's about to be arrested and tried and crucified. So when he says to them, let not your hearts be troubled, do you think that's because their hearts aren't troubled or are troubled? Well, they are troubled. In fact, the, the, the Greek syntax, which is to say the, the grammatical construction, suggests that this is something going on when he speaks. So you could translate it, stop letting your hearts be troubled. So he is speaking to people with troubled hearts and telling them to do something else. To, in the midst of their emotional turmoil, turn to a greater truth that will defy that turmoil. What is that greater truth? Believe in God, believe in me. Just going with the ESV translation, there's a few different options, but just going with that. Instead of letting your hearts continue to be troubled, rest your faith on God, rest your faith on me. Defy your emotions. Don't give in to this panic and be led by it. Think of God's truth, think of how it's true, and then grasp it. Secondly, James 5, 9. James 5, 9. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Again, a present tense. You could translate it, stop grumbling. He doesn't say this because they're not grumbling. He says it because they are grumbling. So he says, stop grumbling. Now notice in the first, Jesus say, does not say, hear me here, Jesus does not say, do not let your hearts tr- be troubled. It's not as bad as you think. Oh, it's worse than they think. So notice he doesn't say that. He doesn't just, he doesn't oppose to human emotions, human reasoning. He opposes divine truth to the emotions. And so likewise here in James 5, he doesn't say don't grumble against one another. They're not that bad. I met the people in your church and they're really pretty decent, so stop grumbling. No, you may have good reason for grumbling. They, they, they may have done you wrong. They may be annoying. They may be obnoxious, just like you. And so he says... What? So he says, stop grumbling against one another. And, and he doesn't say because it's not nice or because you'll look bad. What does he say? He says, so that you may not be judged. Well, are they being judged now? No, that's a future thing. What else does he say? Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Do they see the judge at the door? No, they don't. Well, then how can they know that they're going to be judged and the judge is at the door? How can they know those things? They can't see them. They don't feel them. How can they know them? By God's word, by faith. Because faith is, faith is what? What does faith do? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. Like the future judgment. Like the judge standing at the door. And so he's saying, take these facts you know to be true by faith and put them into action. If you really believe these things and grasp them and apply them, you'll stop grumbling against each other. You see? So faith defies emotions. In fact, God calls, commands us sometimes to defy our emotions in faith. Another, you'll know this, Philippians 4, 6. <clears throat> Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
Now, again, the syntax suggests that he knows that they are being anxious about many things. And so you could translate it, stop being anxious about anything. So they are feeling anxious. And again, Paul doesn't say, don't feel, stop feeling anxious about things because it's not that bad. Or stop feeling anxious about things because every day in every way you're getting better and better. He doesn't oppose cliches or philosophy or human reasoning to it. He, he opposes something that is not seeable, not feelable, not tangible, but knowable by that organ God's given us, as it were, that lays on those truths, which is faith which is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So he says, don't be anxious. Remember, you've got a God who has saved you and told you to pray and promised to listen. A God who always listens to his children's prayer. And so he says, instead of going on in anxiety, remember who you serve. Look, everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And then he says, the peace of God will Guard your hearts. Now, he does not say, and we'll talk about this more next week, but I do want you to notice, he does not say, do not be anxious for anything as soon as you feel the peace of God guarding your hearts and minds. But that's the way we would rather. I'll stop feeling anxious when God helps me stop feeling anxious. But he says, no, stop feeling anxious. Instead, pray, thank God, trust God, and God will give you his peace. But faith is how we lay hold of that. And then one more uh, is not on the list, but it is something we read in our reading, Psalm 56.3. I think this is a really wonderful verse. It's so small, it's easy to miss. But Psalm 56.3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Literally, on the day I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Now hear him again. What is he? What is he feeling? afraid, fear. He's feeling afraid, and for good reason. But he says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Now, he doesn't say, as soon as I stop being afraid, I'll put my trust in you. And he doesn't say, once you put my enemies down, I'll put my trust in you. This is very important. He says, when I'm afraid, at the moment I'm feeling my fear, I will put my trust in you and mentally we could supply the word instead. Because faith and fear are opposites, aren't they? Trust and fear are opposites. You know, you've, you, I imagine most, most big people like me, most tall people have had the experience of going up to a little kid and pick up the little kid and some kids are just happy and throw their arms around you and some kids stiffen in terror and fear, you know, like you're going to throw them across the street or something. And, and what's the difference? Well, one trusts you and one, one doesn't for whatever reason. The one who trusts you, well, you do what you want because they know you won't hurt them. They trust you. But the one who's stiff in fear hasn't really learned what trust means yet or has had a bad experience with a, a throwy adult maybe. So uh, likewise with us, fear and trust are opposites. And so he says when he feels trust instead, I'm mean, sorry, when he feels fear, he exercises trust in God. How, how does he do that? We'll focus on this next week, but very simply, I mean, I can tell you now, you could, you could put it together by what we've studied so far. What, how does he do that? He reminds himself of what he knows to be true and the fact that he believes it to be true and he rests on it, he leans on it. He embraces it. He trusts in God. 
and God's promises. So, Scripture distinguishes faith and emotions. Secondly, biblical faith is rooted in the heart, which is to say not in the emotions. Biblical faith is rooted in the heart. Now, I'm saying heart, and I better make sure that we're all on the same page because I can easily imagine somebody saying, well, now here for half the sermon, you've said faith is not emotion. Now you're saying it's in the heart, and the heart is the center of our emotions. That's how people usually are often uh, define the heart. But in the Bible, the heart is not primarily the center of emotions. What is the heart the center of? First of all, it's the center of thinking. So really, we would use the word brain often where Scripture uses heart. Or we would use the word mind, mind, brains, brain. So uh, the first, Nehemiah 5, 7, and and I'm reading from the Lexham English Bible, which is the, the one that Logos Bible Software puts out. Nehemiah 5, 7, because it's a little more literal. In this situation that this leader Nehemiah was in, he says, I thought over this in my heart. And then I quarreled with the nobles and prefects, and I said to them, you yourselves are taking interest from your own brother. So I called the great assembly against them. But before he took action, he thought about it. And what faculty of his being did he use to think? His heart. I thought over it in my heart. Your heart, my heart, is where we do our thinking. We think in our heart. Psalm 139.23, I wonder if you've thought of how this reflects on this, because I know you know this, this verse. Psalm 139.23, Search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts. So what nouns are, are parallel to each other? My heart and my thoughts because my heart is where my thoughts reside. It's where my thinking happens. First, our heart is the center of our thinking. Secondly, the heart is the center of our remembering. The center of our remembering. Some of you are thinking, I knew I had a weak heart. I didn't think it was that way. But yeah, no, it's difficult for all of us and yet important, and where we do it is we do it with our heart. Deuteronomy 4.9 We read, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. So, the danger is forgetting the things our eyes have seen. And he goes on to say, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. So to forget is to have something depart from my heart. So where will I remember? In my heart. I remember by keeping it in my heart. And I know many of you are thinking of that, oh yeah, your word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's right. The heart is where we do our remembering. Proverbs 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. So our heart keeps God's word, keeps his commandments, because our heart is where we do our remembering. I love what I read recently. A Puritan writer said that the memory is the stomach of the soul. I think that's really deep and a really good point. That, you know, you you, you don't gain nourishment and strength by taking uh, a piece of pie and smearing it all over your face or a handful of ice cream and rubbing it on your tummy. That may be a better dietary approach than eating it, actually. But you know, if you want it to do any good, it has to go into your stomach. 
And so likewise, if we want God's word to do us any good, we've got to have it reside in our memory, which is to say our heart. I know we always go here, but this, this, this pumps blood. This is the heart. <laughs> this is the heart. It's where we think. It's where we remember. And if we want God's word to nourish us, that's where we need God's word. Now I tell you, any exposure to God's word is better than none. People have said, I feel like giving up on Bible reading because it doesn't sink in. And I always say, no, no, keep it up. But look for ways to help it sink in. Better to read it than not read it, but better still to remember it. Get it in your stomach, get it in your memory where it will do you good. The heart is where we think. The heart is where we remember. The heart also is our center, number three, of valuing or desiring. And that's our affections. Our affections describe what draws us or repels us, what we find beautiful or ugly, what we find appealing or repelling. And just a couple of verses, Romans 6, 25, Solomon is warning his son against being allured by the wrong woman who's trying to draw him away from the Lord and into sin. And it's not enough that he just not be involved with her, not touch her, not have intercourse with her. But it starts here, Proverbs 6.25, do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Don't, don't desire her beauty in your heart. That's where it starts. That's where the battle is really fought and won or fought and lost or not fought and conceded. Don't cultivate desire for her in your heart because the heart is the center of our affections or our desiring. Another one, verse, verse you know, Romans one twenty four, one of the God gave them overs, God's punishment of, of the sin of man with more sin. Romans one twenty four. therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. The lusts of their hearts, the Greek word simply means the desires, the strong desires of their hearts. Because the heart is where we do our desiring. We're detracted or repelled by things in our heart. The heart is our center of thinking. It's our center of remembering. It's our center of desiring. And fourth, it is our center of deciding. Our center of deciding. Acts 7.39. This is Stephen's uh, best and last sermon that he preaches to the Jewish leaders who are about to lynch him. And he says, showing the pattern of rebellion against God-given leaders, speaking of their fathers in the desert, he says, our fathers refused to obey him, that is Moses, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt. They refused to obey him, they thrust him aside, and in their hearts, they returned to Egypt. They resolved. They decided. They chose. And, and or here I am gesturing to my pump. <laughs> uh, they decided. They chose. And they did that with their hearts. Because the heart is where we think. It's where we remember. It's where our affections are. And it's where we make our decisions. So, biblical faith involves our mind and our volition and affects our affections because the heart is the organ of faith. It's not our emotions. We don't believe with our feelings. We don't believe with these 
changing, evanescent, here today, gone tomorrow, different from hour to hour feelings. And the reason why a great many um, have an unstable Christian life is because they were misevangelized, because they were given an emotionalistic appeal, because they were given uh, a, a witness that primarily focused on exciting their emotions, making them feel guilty, making them feel pointless, making them feel like, yeah, they'd like more hope. Well, if you just use this Jesus formula, this Jesus incantation, you say that word and you're going to be happy. And they do that, and perhaps they do feel happy. Notice something with me. Go to, go to Matthew chapter 13 for a second. And this is where Jesus starts telling these parables. And you know, uh, you know the parables. And you know he starts off with the parable of the sower. He says, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds felt, um, fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So it's the same seed in all cases. In one case, nothing happens. Birds peck it away. In the next two cases, something happens, but they don't bear fruit. Only in the third soil, fourth soil is fruit born when the roots go down deep and the fruit comes out. What's Jesus' ex, uh, explanation of this second soil? The one that lands on, sorry, yes, the second soil. Lands on thin soil, springs up, is burnt off. So look at verse 20. Here's his explanation and notice. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Oh, he feels emotions about it. Something about it excites his emotions. And so there is immediate response. Yet he has, yet, verse 21, he has no root in himself. He's heard the facts, and on some level he believes them are true, uh, that they're true enough to affect his emotions. And he's happy about it, and happy to think that he's on the right side. And yet Jesus says the part you don't see is that he, the roots have not sunk down. I mean, if we were to apply our three aspects, he, he knows the facts, he thinks they're true, but he's not truly trusted in God's word. He's not truly rested himself on Jesus Christ. And so he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulations or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Why? Well, you could say because he believed it, because he believed it would make him happy. And when it made him happy, he was good with it. But then anti-happy happened. <laughs> Unhappy happened. Persecution because of the word. He, he went around telling people about Jesus thinking they'd be as happy as him. And they weren't as happy as him. They were downright mean and they made fun of him. And they, they, they made memes in Twitter. And, and, and they, 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 they had bad thoughts and angry eyebrows. And oh, he didn't sign on for that. He signed on for happy. And he wasn't happy anymore. So I'll go looking for something else that'll make me happy. You see? Because that, that is not saving faith. Saving faith is not primarily emotional. 
You hear I keep saying primarily, there's a reason for that. Faith does affect our emotions. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Faith has an effect on our emotions, but it must not be the other way around. And, and here's the thing that I'm really trying to do my best to, to help you see the difference between. To a great many people, feelings are reality, and faith is kind of wispy. It's kind of ephemeral. It's kind of out there. But what I feel is real. Oh, what's in the Bible is just, it's doctrine. It's stuff. It does, it's not really life. Life is what I feel. And, uh, well, you know, a, a thing I've, I heard often in charismatic circles was a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. Which the way they mean it is, well, you felt these things are real and somebody comes and brings Bible to you. <laughs> never mind, you've got your experience. You've got your feelings. Hang on to those feelings. Hang on to that experience. You're not going to let some, some dead letter challenge that, are you? And so to a great many people, what I feel is what is real. And what is real is what I feel. And the idea of reading a book and believing it with all my heart and putting everything on what it says instead of what I feel, in fact, sometimes doing the opposite of what I feel because it's clear what this says and it's clear that it's calling me in a different direction, you might as well be speaking Japanese assuming you don't know Japanese because it's incomprehensible. And to that sort of person, last week's sermon would have just been Lithuanian. And the sermon before that, same thing. Wouldn't have known what I was talking about because this is not their religious tradition. Their religious tradition is God works through our feelings. I feel led to do this. I felt like the Lord said this to me. I feel God moving. Where do you find that in Scripture? Oh, there you are with your Bible again. Yeah, I kind of am. <laughs> I kind of am because that's how I started this life and that's how I'll finish it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by how you feel about the Word of God. Right? Hearing, hearing by how the Word of God makes you feel. No, hearing by the Word of God. Jesus says, if you continue in how you feel about my Word, then you're my disciples, right? No. If you continue in how my word makes you feel, then you're, no. If you continue in my word, then you're my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. But it starts with his word. And then once you start with his word, though, what you advance to is his word. And where we finish is his word. That's the Christian life. What does he say? Go to all nations, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to feel, no, teaching them all that I commanded you. This is Christian life. You say, but that's not what I search for in worship. Then you're not searching for Christ. You're searching for, well, yourself really. You're practicing idolatry in the name of Christ if you're hunting for feelings above all rather than hunting for Christ above all. You won't find Christ in your feelings. You'll find Christ where he's always been revealed in God's word. That's where you find Christ. And finding Christ has an effect on our emotions, but it mustn't be the other way around. So let's come to the third point, final point this week. Biblical faith and our emotions. So I'm just going to pose the question this week and talk more next week, Lord willing. 
where do our God-given emotions come in properly? First, on the one hand, faith affects emotions. Make sure you put an A there and not an E. It makes a big difference. (laughs) Faith affects emotions. Well, it can affect emotions too, but faith affects emotions. A-F-F-E-C-T-S. Turn to Romans 15, 13 with me, please. I'll be reading from the NASB. It's only slightly different. But Romans 15, uh, from the ESV, Romans 15, 13, you get the idea no matter which you have. Now this is one of those little simple-seeming verses that just has endless depths of truth in it. <clears throat> this is a slow-down turbo verse. Don't read fast. Pause here and look at the historical landmark. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Oh, there's my verse. That's all I wanted, Pastor. I want to know how to have joy and peace. And the verse says it right there. Why didn't you just start with this? May God fill you with joy and peace. Well, that's what I want. So do it, God. I'll wait right here. Fill me with joy and peace. Is that where your verse ends, though? No. It goes on to say, in believing. Huh. Wait, there's more. So that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, there we go. A lot of Christendom will say, see, now that's where you should have started. The Holy Spirit gives us joy and peace. Yes, this is what I believe. That's why I go forward every Sunday and have a guy slap me on my forehead so I can have more joy and peace. The Holy Spirit just... Just like that. Give me joy and peace. That's what I'm looking for. That's all I want. Is there anything wrong with with joy and peace? Peace, love, and understanding? Anything wrong with that? That's all I want. So as the Holy Spirit gives it, why all this blah, blah, blah you've been doing? Well, because of that thing in the middle. Now, how does God fill you with all joy and peace? In believing. You say, wait a minute, this is not my preference. (laughs) My preference is that God give me joy and peace, and then I'll believe. Because I'll know it's true. I have joy and peace in my heart. Ha! Now I know God's word is true. Well, brother, sister, you may want it that way, and I may want it that way too, but that's not the way it works. The way it works is God fills our heart with joy and peace as we believe. And what does believing mean? What does it require? Let's be brass tacks about it. What does it require? Well, it requires that I learn the word of God and that I understand the Word of God, and that I rest on the Word of God. And that I keep doing that. Rinse and repeat. I mean, there's the secret of the Christian life, you know. Please keep coming back anyway, but that's the secret of the Christian life. Learn the Word of God, understand the Word of God, embrace the Word of God. Rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat until you see Jesus. And so he says here, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by God filling you with, hope, hope, with joy and peace as you believe his word, you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not work apart from God's word. God does not work apart from his word. He works through his word. It's why he went to all the trouble of making it and giving it to us and preserving it for us. This is how he gives us joy and peace. By our learning, understanding, and believing, which means remembering, 
the Word of God. And I'll tell you from personal experience, you've got to have it in your heart. Because if you get into astonishing pain like you've never known, you get into heartache, heartbreak, miseries, you may not always have the time to sit down with a concordance and try to find a good verse. You really want to have it in your heart so you can believe it and know joy and peace in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that sorrow, in the midst of that heartache, you see? But it doesn't come apart from believing. Like Romans 8.28, God works all things for good. There's a promise. But do I believe it? If I do, then I can know joy and peace. If I think everything's just basically going to hell in a handbasket and there's nobody at the steering wheel, forget joy and peace, but also forget believing. You see? Secondly, and I mean to open these up more next week. Secondly, we walk by faith, not emotions. 2 Corinthians 4, 18, 17 and 18, really. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, and 5, 7. Do turn there, please. This is where we'll end today. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, and 5, 7. So the second one's really the, the kicker, but I'll go ahead and start with the first. 4.17. <clears throat> For this light momentary affliction, <laughs> I, I always chuckle when I read that. You know what Paul means by light momentary affliction? Oh, being thrown into prison, being stoned as if to death, being beaten with rods, being falsely accused. Light momentary affliction. <laughs> is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Well, eternal weight of glory. What gives Paul hope amidst his light momentary afflictions, what gives him hope is this eternal weight of glory that they're working. But how? Does he see that? Does he feel that? Can he weigh it? No, no, no. So how could you have a conviction like he has about things not seen? What could give you a conviction about things not seen? Nobody recognizes Hebrews 11.1? That would be faith. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So how do you look at, he says right here, we look not to the things that are seen, which we think are more real, but to the things that are unseen, which we think are unreal. But the reality is the things that are seen are less real, and the things that are not seen are more real. And the only way we're going to look at those things is not by feelings, but by faith. And the only thing that grounds faith is the Word of God. And that's exactly what he calls us to. And so, 5-7, for we walk, not, we walk by faith, not by sight. Another one of those little packed verses. But Paul imagines two realms here. The realm of what is seen and the realm of faith. Now, the realm of what is seen that takes in things that, that you can feel and have feelings about. You can smell, you can touch, you can taste. 
And he says, that is not what we walk by. That is not our leader. That's not our Lord. That doesn't direct our lives. What directs our lives? He says, but faith. And what is faith? It's all about God's Word. It's, it's the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of, not, of things not seen. All these things revealed in God's Word. The promises we hope for, we have substance by faith. The commands, the threats, we know they're real by faith. And so it's that that directs our lives, not what we can see, not what we can feel. How many Christians are are walking by sight and know so little of their Bible and don't find a church where they'll be taught the Bible, don't give their time to learning the Bible, when in, in a bind or making decisions, the Bible never comes to mind. They're not walking by faith. Because if you don't have God's word, you can't walk by faith. So that just leaves sight. But the Christian is called to walk by faith. That's our standard, not our emotions. Not what we feel, not what we feel led to do, but what God's word says to do. I, I, I remember a lady once I talked with and, and went to the Bible about some decisions she was making and showed her in the Bible what she needed to do. And she said, well... I guess I'll just have to pray and see if see what the Lord says to me. And and I said, Sister, the Lord just said to you. He he just spoke to you. What did you think this was? Oh, see, but we don't want that. We want to feel something. We want to feel God saying something to us. As if that's more real. But no, it's his eternal word that is more real, that's more certain. So Emotions are created by God. Emotions are a good gift given by God. Emotions are a gift harmed by the fall like everything else. And we walk by faith, not by emotions, because the fall has not affected Scripture. Scripture alone is God's word to us. And Christian discipleship is knowing, is learning to understand God's word, to believe God's word, and to live by God's word. And when emotions conflict... Christ's lordship must rule us, not our emotions. How many people are not taking a step forward in their Christian life they have known for years they should take because they don't feel like it? They know they should commit themselves to a church and membership. They should serve, but they don't feel like it. They don't feel led. They're waiting to feel led. They're afraid or whatever. Emotions keep us back. We, we know we should witness, but it's scary to us. And we know we should... So many things but we're afraid. We don't feel like it. Then we need to hear God's word and believe and live and not tempt God by waiting for something more than his word to get us to trust and obey. Amen? So when emotions conflict, Christ's lordship's got to win and that is the only way that we will know holiness, truth, joy, peace, and hope because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Let us pray. Our God, we thank you for your word, for its power, its clarity, how it cuts across error, how it pierces our hearts. It pierces where no other sword could pierce because it's living and powerful. And Father, I do pray for any, any dear soul here, brother or sister in Christ, who in some area has been chained by 
the idea that emotions should be supreme. Lead lead that, that, that brother, that sister to find freedom in trusting your word, rejoicing in your truth, and living by faith, not by sight. And anyone who has come in here not knowing Christ, now hearing of Christ, we pray, Father, that you will draw that person to come to you according to your word. As you, you bid the weary laborers to come, we pray that they will hear that call and will come. In Jesus' name, amen.